0: Thank you for tuning in to Milledgeville Matters and WRGC 88.3 FM. I'm your host, Daniel McDonald, and today we're taking our show outside the confines of our studio and traveling just a little ways up 441 to Andalusia, the home of Flannery O'Connor. In this conversation that we taped on the front porch there at Andalusia, Executive Director Elizabeth Wiley talks to us about Andalusia what's going on in and around the farm, and some of the ways that author Flannery O'Connor continues to have an outsized impact on the modern South we live in today. So come along for this trip that takes us just up the road, but to another place and time, on this edition of Milledgeville Matters. Support for Milledgeville Matters comes from Georgia College, Georgia's public liberal arts university providing the experience students would expect from a private college with the affordability of a public university. For more information, gcsu.edu. Thank you for tuning in to Milledgeville Matters and WRGC 88.3 FM. I'm your host, Daniel McDonald, and today we're returning to the beautiful outdoor setting of Andalusia's front porch to talk with Executive Director Elizabeth Wiley about what's going on here at andalusia farm the home of flannery o'connor some of the events that they've got coming up but also some of the things that have been going on here recently some new partnerships and some new events and new exhibits that are on display for people to to come out here and enjoy exactly what i'm enjoying right now which is this the serene pastoral setting the sound of the cicadas off in the distance just a little faint hint of 441 off there just to let you know that you're not too far off the beaten path, but far enough to go for a miniature vacation of the mind and perhaps the spirit and the soul as well. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for hosting us out here.
1: Well, thank you for coming out, Daniel. We love to see people out at the farm and enjoying it.
0: One of the things that, you know, uh, radio is, is a medium in which you know we get out to the people, but uh, so many times the actual work and labor of that is in the studio. So it's just wonderful opportunity to actually be able to get out here um, to have this conversation with you.
1: Well, it's not unlike Flannery. She labored every day, 9 to 12, at her typewriter and working in her room and creating some of the best literature of the 20th century. But in the afternoons, she went outside and tended to her peafowl and domestic birds that populated the place and um, really took in everything the farm had to offer by way of solace and inspiration. And I think
0: that brings me to a good question. I mean, of course, we've spoken before, and, you know, in my mind, Andalusia Farm is one of the tenets of the arts community here in Milledgeville. But uh, for any audience members who may have never heard of Andalusia Farm or may be unfamiliar with Flannery O'Connor and her writing, can you tell me just briefly about y'all's mission out here?
1: Sure. Uh, the farm opened to the public in 2003, and since that time we've had Over 46,000 visitors come from all over the world. Uh, People who know Flannery O'Connor's work and perhaps have it on a bucket list. This is a place they've always wanted to come. Of course it's where Flannery wrote some of her greatest work and found inspiration here at the farm. At least five of her short stories are set very directly on a farm such as this one, so many people who are familiar with Flannery's work can see evidence of the stories as they look at the farm buildings and experience the sort of vestigial farm operation that was active during the time Flannery lived here, 1951 to 1964. So it's a wonderful slice of nature uh, wedged in between Walmart and the car dealership, and it's not even as far as Kroger's. So come on out. Those of you who haven't been here and those of you who have, you're always welcome to visit again and again.
0: right, and one thing that we've talked about in the past is that even if you're not a fan of Flannery O'Connor's work, this is actually a wonderful uh, green space for the community to enjoy.
1: That's right, Daniel. We have a mile loop trail along the Tobler Creek, and of course that's a robust waterway that feeds into the Oconee River. It's just a beautiful walk in the woods, and there are tags identifying different tree types and things, and it's quiet, you get further away from 441, and you really think you're way out in the middle of nowhere, but we also have picnic tables and lawn chairs and Flannery's books scattered around, so you can always know you can read a short story in the place it was written.
0: a number of reasons to come out to this place, whether you're a fan of Flannery O'Connor's work or not. But one of the things that uh, we wanted to talk about in this interview are some of the events that um, are ongoing and are coming up uh, that give people who may have been here before or uh, the first time visitor a a unique reason why to come out. Uh, Just tell me about, let's pick one of those ones and, and talk about it for a little
1: while. Well, this summer we've been experimenting with seasonal late evening hours, so every Thursday we're open till sunset and that gives an opportunity for folks after work if you want to go for a walk or you want to bring your pet on a leash or your family or a picnic or whatever consider this a community asset, a green space that you can use and really see the light that Flannery wrote about. Um, She has beautiful passages in some of her fiction about sunsets and the light here uh, at the farm. We wanted to give people an opportunity to see that. You know, we usually close at five and sometimes we stay after and we see those gorgeous sunsets where it really does look like the woods are on fire or the sun is dripping blood. So we wanted to give visitors an opportunity to see that. So every Thursday through the end of September, we're open and uh, we're free and open to the public. We have a suggested donation for folks who want to visit the house and receive a tour or spend more time and contribute to the organization. But we're we're free and um, people should feel free to come. We also, every third Thursday, we have Thurs Lucia, which is an open mic without the mic. It's out on an open air deck and uh, everybody gets five minutes. It's a wonderful evening. Uh, moderated by our very own Daniel Wilkinson, local actor, and uh, we call him the bon vivant. He moderates the evening and everybody gets five minutes to do whatever they want on stage. They can sing, they can dance, they can read something of their own, something of somebody else's. We've had a wonderful woman on her 81st birthday, she sang a cappella, Let Me Call You Sweetheart and told the story of meeting her husband, the love of her life. We've had poets reading their work. We haven't yet had any tap dancers, but it's a little bit of everything, and people shouldn't feel shy. It's a very welcoming group, and you can test something out if you'd like. We're also serving, uh, courtesy of Wild Heaven Craft Beers, uh, the new Wise Blood IPA. Uh, These folks have been very generous and just filled up my chunk with beer and I brought it out to the farm and we're sharing it with whoever is over 21 and wants to test this new IPA. But it's quite delicious and we're very grateful to the folks at Wild Heaven Craft Beers.
0: I definitely want to ask a little bit more about how they came to uh, name a beer after uh, Flannery Connor's work. I wanted to stay on on Thursday Lucia for a little while. Why have this event here? What do you hope to um, draw out of people and what do you hope to have at that event?
1: Well, we see it as another opportunity to show off the farm and we figured since we're experimenting with evening hours, we'd try something once a month that um, gave folks an opportunity to share their art. And folks have read any of Flannery's letters or know anything about her biography, Uh, she lived for a while in the New York area with Robert and Sally Fitzgerald. Robert Fitzgerald was an academic, a classicist. And uh, famously, they would gather in the evenings over martinis after they had had their day's work, and they would share their work with each other, you know, what they'd produce that day. And it's not an uncommon thing among communities of artists um, to work hard all day and then in the evenings share it. Um, Flannery, uh, of course, was at artist colonies and that's a very common thing. She was at Yaddo and, you know, places like the McDowell Colony and elsewhere uh, commonly have uh, kind of structured programs where people share their, their work with one another. So we wanted to kind of replicate that idea in a small way by offering a venue that's free to anyone who wants to share their work or opinions or ideas. And uh, in a, as one uh, gal says, it's a free creative zone here.
0: There's a lot of creative energy in this place. And whether or not people may feel that, um, at least people attribute that to this place. So what does it mean uh, for y'all and y'all's mission to actually bring people that kind of creative space here?
1: Well, you asked about our mission early, and our, our mission is really the preservation of this place, Andalusia Farm. It's really buildings and grounds. Uh, it's not glamorous, but uh, it's important. We'd like to know that this farm is here for future generations to uh, experience you know, the look and feel of a mid-century middle Georgia, Farm, which is the place that Flannery drew so much inspiration from. The comings and goings on the farm, the relationships between the farm workers, all of those things kind of figure into her stories. So having people read a poem on our deck out back, does that help us restore a building? Not really, but preservation is meaningless without people. Uh, We could be a static shrine that just propped up these buildings and that was it, but really preservation is about people. So we want to engage people in feeling that the farm is a community asset, that they're free to come out here and enjoy the place and tap into their own creativity here. We'd like this place to inspire others just like it inspired Flannery. And in doing that, engaging people, and then they fall in love with the place, and then they'll want to support us. Um, We actually are in our annual fund drive right now, and 65% of our annual operating budget comes from gifts from individuals from all over the world. Uh, We get checks from $5 to $25,000, and folks like what we're doing and want to see us continue the preservation work that we've embarked on. My wonderful predecessor, Craig Ameson, did a fantastic job of getting the hill house restored. The hills were the last family to live there, but it was really the dairyman's house, and a lot of families lived there, including some that are still here in the Millersville community. So um, all of that preservation work is really undergirded by people, and so we Want to provide a place for people to engage with Andalusia. And then we also just published our first ever annual report, and that is a huge, gigantic thank you to everyone who's ever given money or in kind gifts to this nonprofit organization to help us get to where we are and where we want to go. So that's available on our website. You can just click on the PDF and see this wonderful publication, or if you'd like one, a hard copy, we'll be happy to send you one.
0: Well, I want to take a short break right now, so we'll take that opportunity, but if you're just joining us, we're talking with Elizabeth Wiley. She's the Executive Director of Andalusia Farm, the home of Flannery O'Connor, and so we'll be right back with more knowledgeable Matters. Thank you for staying tuned to Milledgeville Matters and WRGC 88.3 FM. If you're just joining us, we're talking about Andalusia Farm and some of the things that they're bringing to the Milledgeville cultural scene uh, right now and in the future. My guest is Elizabeth Wiley. She's the executive director of Andalusia Farm out there just north of the Walmart off 441. And so during that last segment, we, we were just stopping as you were talking about the annual giving campaign that you are in the midst of right now, but one of the things that is new to this year is that you had created an annual report to give to people. And I was interested in this because I talked with folks um, in different areas about increased transparency and trying to provide these kinds of insights into the ways that organizations run their business, nonprofits provide the services that they do. And I just thought I'd ask you about that, Uh, what was the idea behind creating a report like this, and uh, what do you hope that it means for your organization, and also for the people who contribute?
1: Thank you for asking the question, Daniel. I, I would just refer to the larger universe of nonprofits, and uh, if you look to the most successful, well-run nonprofits, there's certain standards and best practices that are followed. We're kind of a young organization, so you know we're only 13 years old, so this was a good time for us to gather all that material together and really in a very public and you used the word transparent way thank everyone who's ever given us money and I know folks don't like to talk about money in the south um, so we've produced a very elegant publication that outlines everything the organization has been doing. You know, I went through files. It was a labor of love with my team here. So we have giving records, going back to the beginning, uh, showing who supported uh, this place. And it was so heartening to me just to see all the names. And sure enough, we sent out our e newsletter and announced the availability of the publication on our website and provided a link. And one hour after the e news was dropped, we got a phone call from one of our major donors who had seen the e news. He'd clicked on the link and he called me to thank me and tell me how much he appreciated the effort. It was a great looking book, first of all. It's got lots of pictures of, You know things around the farm and our, the activities we're engaged in. There are donor testimonies so you can hear from others about why they give. And then there's just lists of people from all over the world who send in their checks or donate online to support the work that we're doing here to be open and available to the public to engage in preservation activities to make sure we're caring for the historic fabric of the farm and to think ahead and create a solid foundation for the rest of eternity. I mean people who are in the preservation business talk about in perpetuity. That's forever. So that's a seven-letter word, but boy is that a heavy charge. So That's what we're in. We're in the preservation business, and preservation takes money. And so we wanted to just publicly acknowledge everyone who's been supporting the good work out here for the last decade and plus. So um, again, you can find that on our website, www.andalusiafarm.org, or you can drop us a line and we'll send you a hard copy and also just come out and visit. We're open Thursday through Sunday, 10 to five. And of course, Thursdays till sunset through September.
0: And um, I understand that recently y'all released the information about one of your annual events and um, how that'll take place this year. Um, And that's a bluegrass at Andalusia. Uh, This announcement, I'm sure some of our listeners already know all this, but let's let's go back over some of that information.
1: Well, uh, yeah, I just was reading this morning about uh, Deep Roots lineup and was very excited to see the great bands they have going. And we'll be announcing our lineup soon, but you can get it here earlier. The date is November 5th, and that's a Saturday. And we have a great lineup of bands. Uh, First up at 5 o'clock out of Macon will be Good Country People. Then at 6, we've got out of Atlanta, the Skillet Lickers. They are a heritage band dating from the 20s, and members of the same family are still involved with the band, and they're very well-known and just a wonderful traditional bluegrass band. And then our headliner is Packway Handle Band, and they were up in 2014, and then they went on tour with Kid Rock, and they've been, you know, really going great guns and uh, we asked them back this year and they were free and they, they're Flannery fans and we're delighted to come. So we have a great lineup of bands. Uh, from 3 to 5, the farm of course is open and we encourage porch picking, everybody bring your instrument. We've got some local musician friends who are willing to kind of get it going, uh, just casual pickup music. And we'll, we'll also have guided trail walks, uh, 3 to 5. The event is a family friendly event, it's really all about that and we make sure in the farm core we keep the vehicles away from people so kids are free to run around and catch fireflies and. Enjoy nature and look at the peafowl, and just uh, really enjoy the property before the music begins at five and uh, the bands take the stage. We'll have food vendors on site, and of course we'll be serving brews from Wild Heaven Craft Beers, in addition to the Wise Blood IPA. I think we put in order for emergency drinking beer. Right,
0: the yellow and black cans. Are yeah, so those are pretty right? <laughs>
1: popular. Um, but we really encourage families to come out and can bring pets on leashes they can bring their kids uh, children under 12 are free adults $10 students and seniors $5 there's free parking and just bring whatever it is you need to be comfortable chairs blankets picnics coolers whatever you like uh, and come and spend the day
0: Well, let's take another short break right now and I want to ask you a little bit more about this and um, Really, I think you sparked it in that last response talking about um, you know some of the musical acts that have drawn inspiration from Flannery O'Connor. But we'll be right back with that in a moment. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Milledgeville Matters on WRGC 88.3 FM. My guest today is Elizabeth Wiley, and she's the executive director of the Andalusia Farm, which is the home of Flannery O'Connor. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more Milledgeville Matters. For staying tuned to Millageville Matters and WRGC eighty-eight point three FM, I'm your host Daniel McDonald, and today I'm talking with Elizabeth Wiley. She's the Executive Director at the Andalusia Farm, and on this episode, we're actually taking a field trip out here to the farm. Uh, we're not doing this in our usual uh, studio setup as, as normal, but we actually uh, took the invitation to come out here and join you on the front porch of Andalusia Farm, the farmhouse where Flannery O'Connor wrote uh, many of her important works, and so. In that last segment, we were talking about bluegrass at Andalusia. And uh, remind us of the dates again one more time just in case someone Uh, missed it.
1: The 12th Annual Bluegrass Festival will be November 5th, that's Saturday, from 3 to 8.
0: And as we were going out, it just occurred to me to ask you about um, some of the influence on music that Flannery O'Connor's works have had historically, and as we were taking a break right there, you are actually telling me um, some really interesting anecdotes. Yeah, so tell me, I mean, from your talk with other artists, you know, what is the impact that Flannery O'Connor's work has had, even outside of literary world?
1: Well, actually, she's had wide-ranging influence on a lot of contemporary artists, uh, filmmakers. Of course, writers and musicians and painters. We just had an exhibition of uh, paintings um, by 12 painters who were responding to the work of Flannery O'Connor and, and, I mean, just a simple image search. If you put Flannery O'Connor in and you click on image, so many artists have made artwork inspired by Flannery's writings. It's a whole universe out there that I guess wasn't possible before (laughs) Google image search, but, um, you know, it's pretty interesting when you start to make a list of the people who are influenced by her, and, you know, just off the top of our head, filmmakers, you think of Tommy Lee Jones and the Coen brothers, they say very directly that Flannery O'Connor was an influence. Uh, In the musical world of course Lucinda Williams, uh, her father Miller Williams was a friend of Flannery's and Lucinda came out here as a child. Uh, Miller was a frequent visitor uh, here to the farm and Flannery was a friend of his and a mentor. Uh, Well you listen to Lucinda's music and especially her latest album where the spirit meets the bone she says very directly of course it was influenced by her father but also Flannery's work. Uh, And then we were just actually chatting about Bruce Springsteen and he was in an interview with the New York Times Review of Books, he was asked what's the single most important book that made you who you are today and he replied Flannery O'Connor's complete stories. And there's a lot of sort of academic writing about the influence of Flannery on artists such as Bruce Springsteen and others. So it really once you Tune into it, it's not surprising and you see more and more names. There's a playlist out there of, of rock musicians who are influenced, uh, you know, specific songs that reference Flannery's stories. If you just Google Monica Miller, uh, it'll come up. Uh, she's an O'Connor scholar and teaches at Georgia Tech and is a music lover and has written about uh, Flannery's influence on rock and roll. So you know, they come. uh, The influences come in all different shapes and sizes. But I think it's really a testimony to the universal themes that Flannery dealt with, and the the sort of staying power of her stories. She died in '64, but we get thousands and thousands of visitors who come out here and are so passionate about her work and. You know, we have lots of discussions about contemporary issues, sort of precipitated by a beginning conversation about one of the stories, and very quickly you can start to look at contemporary issues. Uh, The displaced person, for example. A lot of talk about immigration. So, I mean, there's a lot of relevance in her writing that I think attracts people today, and actually her star is rising higher than ever.
0: What are the qualities of her writing that makes her such an influence on other art and, you know, have that staying power that she does?
1: Well, I mean, I just take the example of the Cohen Brothers films. I mean, those of you who might know their films recognize that signature narrative arc where the story moves along and then something happens and it just quickly all devolves and goes downhill and ends in the wood chipper, for example, with Fargo that kind of dark underpinning and uh, those are I mean, that narrative arc is this Flannery's signature in her short stories you're laughing up until the last page and then it's horrifying uh, somebody gets their come up and, and there it is <laughs> so I mean it's pretty stark and uh, it, that attracts people I think people like that sort of plainness and, and s- dark reality and then also plumbing the depths of, um, you know, questions about sin and redemption and grace and salvation and some of the theological themes that Flannery wove into her stories and often in such a subtle way that people pick up up on them in different ways. I mean, there's a sort of spectrum of understanding of the sort of religiosity of her work. So some people come to it with, without any reading of religion at all, and some people it's all about that. So I think Flannery had the right idea to respect the reader. And like many artists, you just make it and you put it out there, and it takes on different meanings according to the viewer or the reader.
0: And one of the things that's been interesting to me is that it's not just her stories that have really caught the popular imagination, it's also her, um, her letter writing and, and other things. <clears throat> um, is there a certain aspect of her that we catch in the letters that you know, may also be uh, telling to people about their condition or the condition of life?
1: That's a good question, Danielle. Uh, Flander is a very robust correspondent and of course her letters are gathered in a, in a collection called The Habit of Being. One thing that comes through in her letters is she was hilariously funny. Was very witty. And, um, I mean, you find yourself just laughing out loud at some of the comments she makes or the, the way she uses language or uh, sort of vernacular language. She's very funny. But also very deep, and I think she was a loyal friend uh, in many ways, and that comes through. Uh, but also, she was a deep thinker, and some of that's reflected in the letters. Sometimes I just like to pick up the letters, the, the volume we have here in, in in our office, and which of course is dog-eared and has tons of post-it notes in it. References to things like where was the bird bath and things like that. But sometimes I just open it up to the time of year that we are right now, like August 10th, I would open up the book and see did she write anything on August 10th and think about her being out here in this summer heat and humidity and what it must have felt like for her to be at the farm. I think too, as we're sitting here on the front porch of the farmhouse in Andalusia and, It's really the golden hour, as filmmakers call it. This is the best time to photograph. The light is very special, and of course we hear 441 out there as emergency vehicles. Um, But oftentimes it's very quiet, and you know, you see some deer, and there's some various herons and birds, and it's a real place of nature. And I think her mother did the right thing to move out here to the farm and provide a place for her daughter. In many ways, Mrs. O'Connor was the ultimate art patron and I really respect her for that.
0: Right. Well, let's take another short break right now. And for a radio audience, if you're just joining us, we're talking with Elizabeth Wiley about Andalusia Farm, the home of Flannery O'Connor. We've been talking about some of the events that are ongoing here through the summer months. Also some of the events that are coming up, like the Bluegrass Festival that takes place in early November. Uh, we'll be right back with more Millageville Matters, and we hope that you'll stay tuned right here with us on the porch of Flannery O'Connor's Andalusia. <laughs> Stay tuned to Milledgeville Matters and WRGC 88.3 FM. Today we're talking about Andalusia Farm and some of the great events that they're bringing to the Milledgeville Baldwin County community and really the larger community of uh, fans and followers of Flannery O'Connor's work. So in that last segment we were talking about some of the many ways that Flannery O'Connor has influenced artists at her time and even in the present. I understand that right now you'll have an art exhibit up, and it's a very interesting one. I was wondering if you could introduce us to a bestiary of birds.
1: Sure. Um, we have an exhibit space here at the farm, and it's a kind of uh, new approach to encourage people to come out again and again so that something changes. And so, this is our fourth or fifth exhibition. A Bestiary of Birds is a show of illustrations of birds wearing clothes. I mean, it sounds sort of odd and funny, and it is. There's a couple in Portland. Uh, Ryan Berkeley is the illustrator, and his wife, Lucy Berkeley, has written little narratives about each of the birds that have clothes on. There's a very dapper hummingbird with a, a white hat, and he has a little story about him. There's a bird-watching cedar waxwing, there's a sort of tough-looking eagle, so there's all kinds of uh, birds, um, sort of drawn in a representational style, almost like a naturalist would draw the bird, but then of course they have these very snappy clothes on, including the ladies with hats and corsages, and uh, they're just so charming and and lovely, and uh, of course, we're thrilled to have them. Uh, cause there's a wonderful connection to Flannery. Uh, she was, a, of course, a big bird fan, and famously was filmed at age five with her chicken walking backwards. And you can find that on YouTube. See that newsreel footage of Flannery and Savannah with her backwards walking chicken. And early CGI showing the chicken <laughs> walking backwards, um, but, and Flannery herself said that was the highlight of her life at age five, um, but she also famously made uh, an outfit for Colonel Egbert, her chicken, and um, the story goes she was in home economics class and hadn't been doing her project, I guess an apron or something she was supposed to make. and she came in with a fully-clothed Colonel Egbert, (laughs) so uh, that it's kind of amusing and I saw these bird illustrations, I thought that was hilarious and a great chance to make that connection again, uh, like we do with everything we do here, back to Flannery and her her life and her work. So the show will be up through uh, November 6, so it'll be here during the Bluegrass Festival And then the exhibition space, of course, uh, shows rotate through there. So our last show was painters responding to Flannery's artwork. And the exhibition before that was Flannery and Fashion at mid So that was drawn from some of the textiles around the farm and dealt with the way Flannery used clothing to define her characters. So that fashion show actually has a robust afterlife as a Facebook page. If you're interested, there's wonderful um, Simplicity Pattern promotional film from 1949. There's an article from Vogue about wearing slacks. And of course, uh, Flannery famously described the clothes of the family going on the road trip, and a good man is hard to find. And the grandmother had lace-trimmed organza collars and cuffs, and her hat and her gloves. Uh, whereas the daughter-in-law was still in slacks and still had her head in a kerchief. So there's a little element of judgment to wearing slacks. Are you still in slacks? Mm-hmm. So I tell that to, uh, young visitors who come today and first of all they don't really know what slacks are and I mention to them that women used to not be able to wear slacks. So. The mid-century period in which Flannery was living here at the farm and when she produced her greatest work was also a time of great change in this country across all areas, including women's roles. So, of course, Flannery was part of that, and there's a lot of interesting themes in that regard in her work. The next show that's coming uh, after the Bestiary of Birds is uh, illustrations by uh, a wonderful... Artist out of Wyoming, uh, June Glasson, she worked with Charlotte Strick, who's a book designer, and they came up with new covers for five of Flannery's books. So those of you who see the new issues of Flannery's books, you'll see the, the new covers. But the collaboration between the book designer and the artist is a wonderful body of work, beautiful, lush, gorgeous ink studies of birds, and snakes, and guns, and all kinds of things that went into producing the, those new covers. So you'll have an opportunity to see that here this fall. And then in February, every February, we're continuing with the February 4 series. So that's every Sunday in February, we'll look at Flannery's second novel, The Violent Bear It Away, uh, from four different perspectives. So. Um, June and Charlotte uh, will be speaking about how they came up with the award-winning book cover for that book and then we'll have three other different perspectives looking at that one story so you all might get started reading that story if you want to participate in that. So there's always something different at the farm and you can go on our website andalusiafarm.org and there's a button you just Click it and you can sign up and get our free e-newsletter and that will tell you everything about what we're doing out here.
0: And there's one additional story that we've been talking about uh, during the breaks. And uh, this harkens back to um, one of the other uh, new additions to the, uh, shall we say, works of art that are um, influenced by Flannery O'Connor. And, mm-hmm. and this is that Wise Blood IPA that uh, was put out by a craft brewer in the uh, Atlanta area. It's the uh, Wild Heaven Craft Beers, and they're out of Avondale State, so roughly around the Decatur area in Georgia. And you said that there's um, a little bit of a backstory to about uh, the brewers and the, uh, how y'all have come to um, somewhat collaborate.
1: Well, actually, it was a great story. I saw, just came through my Facebook feed, notice about this Wiseblood IPA, and I just thought it was so fun and cool, and we reached out to them, and they were very friendly and wrote us back, and I said, would you all consider being a sponsor? And they said, absolutely. So I went to Atlanta, and I, I went to their brewery, which is fantastic. Space, and it's so interesting to see how that all works. And I met Eric Johnson, co-owner of the company and the brewmaster, and he said he'd been working on this IPA, of course India Pale Ale, for those of you who don't know, and he had finally got it to the place where he wanted it to be, and he and the other brewmaster, Jake, were sitting around tasting it, and they were trying to think of a name, and turns out Jake had uh, just been reading Wise Blood for the second or third time. He's a huge Flannery fan. So they came up with the idea they were going to name it Wise Blood, and, and of course it launched and I reached out to them and I ended up in their brew, brew pub enjoying the IPA with them and Eric <coughs> was telling me the story that he grew up in Athens and his father was a Baptist preacher and was, as Eric put it, very involved with his congregation and perhaps not that involved with his family. And uh, Eric turned to books and he just fell in love with Flannery O'Connor's work. And I asked him what his favorite story was and he shared with me what it was and honed in on exactly the same part of the story that moves me the most. And I just, we just bonded right there over the IPA, over the story, and I was just so struck by that. And then ended up meeting his colleague, Jake. Well, before we
0: go, I'm just curious, what story is that? You don't have to necessarily tell the spot uh, of the story that that moves y'all, but what what is the story?
1: Well, it's a story with kind of a difficult title, the artificial N-word, you might say. And there's a part in the story where the grandfather denies the grandson, uh, kind of betrays him. The grandfather and the grandson go to the city, which is Atlanta, and they find themselves in the African-American community. They're country people, they don't know anything about the city, and stumbling around and don't know their way, and find themselves in this odd environment they're not used to, and the boy makes a mistake or does something wrong, and uh, he's set upon by some of the people in the community and he looks around for his grandfather who's kind of hiding and skulking away and just a stab through the heart the way Flannery wrote that and just the sparest of sentences just gets that message through so clear but so profound. Anyway, Eric had that same experience about that story that I did. So we, I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's my favorite passage too." Uh, so anyway, we ended up uh, bringing Jake into the conversation, and he grew up in Macon, and his mother used to read Flannery O'Connor stories to him when he was a kid. Ah. And yeah, they're you know kind of adult themed, and it's tough to understand, but he and his siblings sat around while his mom read them the stories, and he's completely nuts about uh, Flannery's writing, so they were so excited to see that we appreciated what they were doing, and they filled my car up with beer and said we could offer it free out here, so if you're over 21, and uh, you can ver- we can verify that, you're welcome to a free beer at our Thursday that's again, the last two are Thursday, that's August 18th, and then the final one will be September 15th, and that actually is also the evening we'll be kicking off our contribution to the Flannery O'Connor Little Free Library Trail. Uh, That winds from Savannah to Milledgeville, and we're the terminus, and it's a project put together by some folks in Savannah and some of them are connected to the childhood home in Savannah. And uh, for those of you who don't know what Little Free Libraries are, you take a book and leave a book. So we'll have that library filled with books and people are free to just make an exchange and enjoy the book right here on the grounds. We've got plenty of seating and of course this beautiful setting which Right now, we're inundated with cicadas and just a lovely breeze here on the porch in Andalusia.
0: Well, I just thought that um, as we leave our audience uh, this evening, i just ask you what it means for you to welcome people out here into this world of you know, Flannery O'Connor, a, a world of uh, you know the South that um, is a, a quickly a disappearing landscape.
1: Well, that's a great question, Daniel, because we're in the preservation business here. Uh, we'd like people to experience the look and feel of the farm during the time when Flannery and uh, Mrs. O'Connor lived here at at mid-century and of course we still hear 441 out there a little bit but we hope that people come and have that feeling of going back in time that I hear time and again people tell me they turn off 441 into our drive and it feels like going back in time. Uh, One fellow said I like this place, it's far away, but it's near. And I just thought that was so poetic, and it's true. Uh, people time and again talk about turning on off that highway into that drive, and as you come up that drive you see the vestigial dairy farm, which is what supported Mrs. O'Connor and, and Flannery and allowed her to spend her time on her art. and. Uh, It's a slice of history and those of us who are in the preservation business take that very seriously. We'd like to make sure this place is here 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, you know, into the future. I don't think interest in Flannery will go away. But I do see an increase in interest in historic lifeways, repair and reuse. If something broke out here, they didn't go to Lowe's, they fixed it or reused it or recycled. Harvesting water, growing your own food, those are all historic lifeways that we'd like to make sure people continue to know how to do. Uh, One person put it this way, well people used to know how to do stuff. Well, that was repair machines and and, grow food and know how to do stuff, (laughs) for for lack of a better word. But I can't, I'm a city girl, I can't say I'm so savvy about all that, but I certainly appreciate all the folks who who I interact with out here, volunteers who help us, uh, locals who have equipment and know-how. And then just people, visitors who come to the farm and reflect they spent time in their grandfather's farm and it was just like this, and they love let that screen door slam because it reminds them of uh, a bygone era. So please come on out and take a walk into the past and enjoy it, and you know, know also that we aren't static and stuck in the past we try to be relevant and make sure we're open and transparent and here and available for people to enjoy this community asset
0: well Elizabeth Wyland thank you very much for inviting us out here today for uh, this uh, a field trip edition of Joe Manor.
1: I'm so glad you came Daniel.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Milledgeville Matters on WRGC 88.3 FM. Tonight we've been talking with Elizabeth Wiley. She's the Executive Director at Andalusia Farm, the home of Flannery O'Connor. We were talking about some of the events that are ongoing and coming up out here at the farm in hopes that you take a a small trip to a a destination that's really close to home. And so we want to thank you for tuning in. I've been your host, Daniel McDonald. I look forward to convening with you next time.